at the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History, we rely on a network of collaborations with people and institutions from around the world to explore major questions in human origins and societal change. These global partnerships span dozens of countries and allow us to combine cutting-edge field and laboratory analyses to formulate new ways of understanding the past. On this web series, we'll talk with our international partners to hear about their interest in archaeology, their research, and their vision for the sustainability of archaeological research in the future. This is ArcheoChats. Welcome to ArcheoChats. I'm Emma Feinstone, joined by my co-host Robert Padalano and today's guest, Dr. Emmanuel Ndiema, who's joining us all the way from Nairobi, Kenya. Emmanuel is a senior research scientist and the head of archaeology at the National Museums of Kenya in Nairobi. He received his PhD from Rutgers University, and Emmanuel studies human cultural responses to climatic variability and subsistence patterns among pastoralist communities. He conducts this work in East Turkana, where he's an integral staff member at the Kubifora Research and Training Program, and is a co-PI on several joint projects with the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History, one in coastal Kenya at Penge Yasaidi Cave, and in western Kenya at Kakapel Rock Shelter. Emmanuel is also an affiliated researcher at the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History, and his partnerships with excavations at Kakapel Rock Shelter and Panga Yasaidi Cave have been integral to our department and made important contributions to our understanding of human history. So thanks, Emmanuel, so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Emma. I, I'm, I'm very excited, actually, to be part of this Accurate Chats. Awesome. It's great to have you. Um, so I'm going to get started with the first question. Um, we asked this as the first question for all our guests, but I'm really interested to actually hear your answer because I've known you for a number of years and I don't think I know the answer. Um, so what was your first introduction into archaeology and how did your interest in archaeology develop? Thank you, Emma. My first introduction to archaeology was actually in college at the University of Nairobi. That was the first time I was getting in, encountered archaeology. but it was uh, because I was looking for a course that will take me out of the office. I didn't want to a course that would make me stay in the office for seven days or five days a week, five from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. So I went to the career counselor at the university and I explained to her the kind of thing that I'm interested in. And quickly she told me that you need to study archeology. span so I pointed me at the department at the University of Nairobi, and I went there and fell in love. And as we say, the rest is history now. Yeah, that's how I got introduced to archaeology. And I developed because why I developed interest in working outdoor is because immediately after my high school, I got a temporary job that I used to accompany some visitors to some remote parts of northern Kenya in the northwestern part of Kenya. And from that, I, I, always very, I got very keen on what lies beyond that mountain. What, what is there? What is it like? Who was there before us? Those kind of questions that I was interested in that triggered my interest. And archaeology has been able to help me answer those questions and find out who was here be before us, how did they do it, and what lies beyond those mountains. 
Excellent. I, I love that as, as a, a way to get into a career that has taken you to so many places and, and met such amazing people. Um, really, just, just being you know, inquisitive, just asking those questions. What came before? And I love that. And I think in terms of archaeology, that is one of the base questions. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, what have been some of your key research projects in your career? What are the ones that you are most proud of or that you really have enjoyed being a part of? Thank you, Bob. There are several research projects ongoing at the moment, both as Emma mentioned, within the auspices of Lectricana, Kobifora Research and Training Program, one that uh, is largely big and is so actively ongoing now, is called Couple Natural and Human Systems. So whereby we investigate the impact of the humans to the environment and the impact of the environment to the human system. Also, I'm looking at megalithic construction in Northern Kenya, at the shores of the Chukana, where there are these big megalithic monuments that really intrigue. So we are documenting these large megalithic structures. And of course, Emma has already mentioned about the collaboration with the Max Planck project, both in Western Kenya and in other coastal Kenya. I must also mention that we have another project that we are doing in Western Kenya, in Mount Elgon, not very far from where we are working with the Max Planck, but this one we are documenting just the history of occupation of the various caves and also why the different elephants use those caves. I am also very much interested in undertaking several projects that are interested in cultural heritage management because part of my job as head of archaeology is also to protect Kenya's natural and cultural heritage. So right, right now, we have been involved in several projects in oil and gas exploration, wind power, but the current one that we are doing is the construction of the Mombasa Gateway Bridge. They are building a big bridge at the coastal town in Mombasa. So that is what we are doing right now. In terms of which aspect of this career that I'm proud of, okay, it's difficult to say, but for me, I would say that I'm really pro proud of projects that actually have impact to the people and actually makes the people, the local communities be proud of their culture and their cultural heritage and also have high impact for it. Like right now, I'm actually very keen on uh, very excited about what is happening at the PYS. They're getting good papers out involved, starting now to build the community engagement structures, which is good. And also for Kakapel, we are also working on building engagement communities. So being able to pass this information from the research community, the local community, and hopefully be able to inform policy. For me, those are the aspects of my career that I'm very, I feel very proud of. I think it's great. I think that is what everybody doing work in, in Sub-Saharan Africa or around the world in general should strive for is to get the local community involved, get them engaged so you can sort of give back in terms of knowledge um, just what it is that you're doing. Because I know oftentimes it's hard to keep people informed about the research projects and, and what happens after you do the excavations and after the publication. So I think it's a great, a great initiative to try and get them involved. Yeah, and it's really been beneficial to our projects at Kakapel and PYS to have your expertise and also your, your passion for involving the local communities. So I was wondering a bit more about how you came to team up with the Max Planck Institute um, on those projects. Can you just speak a bit about the research partnership between you and MPI and the NMK? Okay, thank you, Emma. 
my collaboration with, with the Max Planck Institute started actually some time back when they were setting up the institute. I was invited to Max Planck and we were able to chat and talk about different ways and areas of collaboration. And we found out okay, that we had very common vision of how we wanted to develop the research agenda, not only in Kenya, but the global and engaging other researchers in a broader view. So specifically for Kenya, we shared a common vision in which we wanted to have a research component that it is a partnership between two institutions, but the research is driven by the local scientists. So for me, that is actually for, was a very key aspect that I was very keen at having this collaboration that builds partnerships with institution, but is locally driven. And that's how we were able to develop now a research agenda for CACAPEL, for PYS, working together towards the fulfillment of that goal. So I believe you attended one of the International Applications of Archaeological Science workshops that Max Planck typically holds. Emma and I are actually going to host a virtual workshop this year. Um, I was just wondering if you could talk about how attending that workshop has been beneficial, beneficial, excuse me. Thank you, Bob. Uh, that is certainly very informative and I, I would call it an eye-opener workshop because Whereas I had attended some of the one or two international workshops before, but application of archaeological sciences actually was an eye opener to me because I was able to see how we can able to integrate these skills and be able to process data using different skills with different kind of skill sets that are available. And two, also to network with other scientists and uh, Coming there with colleagues from NMK and meeting colleagues also at Max Planck, we're able to see the various ways in which we can be able to complement. There are some, uh, some of the data processing that can happen at Max Planck, whereas there are also some other data processing that can happen even in situ here at NMK. So bringing in that kind of techniques of, of energies together was actually very key to me. And so it really also improved our mutual our collaboration seeing each other as mutual partners, whereby there is a bi-directional um, transfer of knowledge from both institutions, both MBI and NMK. And um, also for me coming back and be able to share that knowledge with upcoming researchers, colleagues here at NMK, tell them how they can, and inspire the new generation of scholars here at NMK, like, hey, look, there are new methods that you can apply to answer or address archaeological science questions. So, you know, for a long time, because of lack of materials and other things, uh, the upcoming scholars might think that, oh, archaeology is only about mm, counting stones or measuring stone or pottery and that kind of thing. But even the cool sciences that they can do you to answer very relevant archaeological questions and that to me coming back home and being able to share that knowledge i think was a very beneficial to me and to my colleagues here at NMK. yeah so the first time i learned about how archaeological research was more than just counting rocks and i got excited about the methods and all of the different um international partnerships was actually when I went to the National Museums of Kenya in 2009 and it was just such an amazing experience. I got such great training. You know, that was really the first place I was trained as an archaeologist. I know you've been based there for a number of years now and it's really a global leader in archaeological research and also in training the next generation of archaeologists. 
So can you talk a little bit about the history of archaeological research in Kenya and how the National Museums of Kenya have grown throughout your career and what you attribute that success to? Yeah, the history of archaeology, the Kenya has a long history of archaeological research. You can classify it into four or three episodes. One is the 1960s to around mid-80s timeframe whereby the archaeology in Kenya was being driven by foreign researchers where the local researchers were basically playing supportive roles, just selling out here and there, not, not really driving the research agenda. And then coming at the second part, which is now we begin to see a new crop of researchers coming in, and Dr. Karega Munene, Dr. Kennedy Mutundu, there are people now coming in, local researchers who are trained, Dr. Simeo Wandiba and among others, who are now returning and all the training was happening abroad. So even the museum, here at the National Museums of Kenya, even the head of archeology span was a foreign national because we didn't have qualified personnel to head the department here in archeology. span But now beginning that are from the mid 80s to around late 90s, that's when now that narrative begins to change, whereby we have Africa now starting to take up leadership roles. Karega Munene became the head, Simeon Wandiba was the head of archaeology, and now also started to drive their own research. You see now publications coming in of indigenous or local researchers collaborating with those, again, still collaborating with colleagues. And then going forward now, we begin to see this new crop energetic researchers coming in. The National Museums of Kenya, we revamped all our management structure, whereby we wanted some of the departments to take a clear role as the global leader in heritage conservation and management. And that is where actually we, we have that tagline as a leader in heritage management from in 2008 when we revamped our management structure. So that has been the history whereby now we've come into the present. Very cutting edge research and publishing a lot of publications coming from Kenya and collaborating with foreign counterparts. They are now actually collaborating as equal partners. It's no longer now the role of playing supportive roles. They are driving research. Like right now during the pandemic crisis, we're having actually the research going on. Like right now in Kenya where they have opened the country, we can travel. There are research, local researchers now going out as we speak, my colleagues are out in the field. So from this kind of collaboration of equal partnership and mutual respect, we have now build resilience, overcome the serious challenges to the pandemic and continue research. And also now um, mentoring young people because local researchers can see and they can relate to that. And also even a young, also other foreign young upcoming nationals research now, like including like people like Emma yourself, you come in, they see you, you are young and energetic and you get, they draw this inspiration, the young people now, they want to also join in the discipline. You have a lot of, um, uh, female students who are now very eager to get in the science. And for a long time, you know, like this was a subject that was only a preserve for men and all. But they are now actually very eager and coming out very resilient and wanting to undertake the research. So it's just in a sum up say that restructuring and the role of local researchers collaborating on equal terms with their foreign nationals has been, that is the success I can attribute, I can attribute to the development of archaeology in the country. I wonder if you could just talk about some of the obstacles that you still currently face, you know, besides COVID, um, but like, what are some of the challenges that Kenyan archaeologists are still facing today? Okay, one of the major challenges, of course, is funding, access to funding. We have very restricted funding sources that we can apply. 
for major sources, uh, you have to either have a foreign collaborator or you have so for local researchers, they have very limited funding that they can apply on their own. So we have to look for other sources or compete with other um, international colleagues on the same port of money. Access to literature, actually I have students, many students, every, no single week passes without students emailing me, oh, I can't access this paper. I went to, pay, I went to access it and I was told to pay $45. $45 is the amount of money that maybe a student here needs to survive for one full month. So they have to, they, can't be able to access some literature through that. But of course, with the collaboration with the Max Plan that are able to access these literatures and pass, pass over to them. Mm, labs, access to labs and other research materials also still a challenge. Equipment, still a challenge that we have to sometimes like rely on the same piece of equipment like it has to go to 10 other people before you get it. But now mm, the model luckily that I, which I'm very proud of that we are working with the Max Plan, whereby like equipment can be based in the country and can be continued to support researchers other both in the country and the other visiting researchers. Having some building capacity in the country, having equipment in the country and slowly also building lab spaces. For example, we are very happy with the Palynology lab that we have, we can do a lot of microbotanical work. We have a um, lab, lab space here that also does some cutting edge analysis, but still there are some challenges that we can do. What would you like to see in the future to improve some of these challenges? What's your vision for how archaeology in Kenya and at the National Museums of Kenya uh, could be improved in the future? My vision is actually seeing a situation whereby there's active partnership for both local and foreign collaborators, but building in-country capacity in various ways. And this capacity can support students, both foreign and local students. My vision is to see it also as a way in which there is a equal and a beneficial collaboration between the foreign and, and local researchers. So for me, that is the vision I see whereby also act research is driven by local needs. Also, that's very important for me that, uh, for example, right now in Kenya, we have this key, we are seeing the government very keen on food security. What kind of research can be able to support government policy? Those are some of the things that you're doing. Also research that engages the community. My vision is see whereby the vibrant researchers working with supporting, informing local community in which the community becomes very active partners because I believe that the community that is um, engaged in its heritage conservation and preservation management injects pride in the community and also see it as a tool overcoming even in the community violence because of our shared heritage or our shared history, our shared past or shared origins. Great. I think those are, those are ideal goals for the future. Um, so I know you're, you've been very vocal about advocating community engagement with archaeology, using local partnerships, building infrastructure as a means to enhance archaeological research. And your efforts to do this in Kenya have been really beneficial during the COVID pandemic, because there's such a sustainable archaeological program in Kenya, you're able to continue research when most people are at a standstill. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of laying this foundation and how it's beneficial to archaeological research to have this community engagement, local partnership and infrastructure in place? Yeah, thank you, Emma. Yeah, it's important that uh, we have this kind of structures in place that promotes 
both community engagement and also building infrastructure because as you clear as correctly said it might become in need when for example it came very handy during the pandemic because we didn't expect and we were able to build resilience and even now the issues of funding because where researchers in for example in kenya might not have access to a lot of source of funding sources but if there's infrastructure and there is that community goodwill community engagement they can be able also to collect data at a very minimal cost other than waiting for this big grant that may not come quickly but also be able to continue by working with communities to engage in citizen science and they also the local scientists because of available infrastructure they can be able even to collect data visit research sites at a fraction of the cost that they would have been able to access the site if they didn't have those infrastructure. For example, if there were vehicles available here, there is a, all the excavation gear, the mapping gear and everything. So all the researcher would need is maybe just some little resources for subsistence and fuel they can't out there in the field and they can collect the charge as opposed to situation whereby they have to get effort, build everything from scratch. I need a vehicle. I need to get this. I need to get it before they can get out in the field. And by the time they look at the budget, it's like, okay, forget it. Building this kind of infrastructure and engaging communities actually goes out in driving science. It promotes science and promotes science in a way that is engaging the community, making it relevant to communities and also um, helping researchers also continue with their research. So building resilience at both levels. And as I said, it's also important for local just collaboration as a mutual partners. You had mentioned getting people involved, local communities, young students. Um, as somebody who's pretty well established and has been doing archaeology for a long time, uh, what recommendations do you have for young students or just anybody in general looking to get involved with archaeology in Kenya or Eastern Africa or Sub-Saharan Africa or whatever? What recommendations do you have? Yeah, my recommendation to a young and upcoming student, anybody interested in archaeology in Kenya is one to remain resilient, focus on your goal, on your goal and work towards it. There might be several challenges, whatever, it might be hard, but surely it's doable and you can be able to achieve. And they are also they should also take advantage of the upcoming techniques and research methods that are available. For example, the one I'm now perpetuated by the Max Planck International Workshop for the application of archaeological sciences. There are some of those take advantage of those methods and come up with the cutting edge research questions that actually addresses the current challenges or resonates with the challenges of the local communities or the in-country challenges. Yeah, that's good advice and really wraps together a lot of the things we were talking about in this interview. I think you answered all of the questions that I had. I think they were all fantastic answers. So now it's time for the Archeo quiz. So my quiz question for Bob is, other than numerous archeological finds, Emmanuel has also discovered, A, a new way to make hot tea from the field using solar energy, B, a dinosaur fossil mandible from the Jurassic period, C, the exact coordinates at which a total solar eclipse was visible in Kenya, or D, the world's best Mandazi recipe. <laughs> um, uh, I want to go with B, the, the, the dinosaur mandible. <laughs> no, the solar eclipse. Solar eclipse. Okay, yeah, now we need an explanation. So, Emmanuel, you discovered, you figured out the coordinates where a solar eclipse would be visible in Kenya, right? Can you give us the backstory on that? 
Yeah, we were able to work with colleagues from the Kenya Wildlife Service and we were able to establish the exact coordinates of where the best place to see this solar eclipse. And that happened also to actually be in the Electrocana Basin, just in east side of Electrocana. Awesome. Did that generate like tourism? Yes, it was. It generated a lot of tourism, actually. Yeah, it, for pre and post the eclipse, there was a lot of traffic headed towards that direction. So it generated there's a lot of media publicity. Although at the end of it, there was a very bad um, dust storm just exactly when we were, the eclipse was coming, and oh, no. uh, we had to interrupt the TV, the live broadcast, and stuff. But uh, but it did generate interest. Yeah, that's that's just amazing. Uh, like imagine two, three million years ago, and our ancestors standing there looking at an eclipse at the, in the Turkana Basin three million years ago. <laughs> Thanks, Emmanuel. You were a really great guest. Thank you too. Bye for now, and hopefully we'll see each other in not so distant future. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Kwaheri.